All right, guys, this is Hampton again with the More and More podcast. I'm here with Dr. Pat Wright. I always feel like I need to say doctor. Uh, Pat is a friend of mine. He's one of the uh, the older gentlemen that speaks into my life, and I'm excited to sit down with him. And we're going to be talking about abortion as well as politics today. We're going to try to get in and get out of the weeds as fast as possible. So, uh, Dr. Wright, I'm going to call you Pat from now on, but I feel like I need to keep saying that. Uh, I'm going to have you intro yourself and give a little bit about you and your family and just uh, who you are. Go ahead, man. Okay, so yeah, when you talk about the doctor, I I never <laughs> like using the title doctor. One of my uh, colleagues said that his, his son was at school and they were asking what their dads did and he said his dad was a doctor, but not the kind that helps people. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah, so I got the title, but not the kind that helps people. But uh, yeah, so I, uh, I got my PhD way back when, about 1988. That's not um, so Michigan far back. State. I didn't realize uh, it was that far back, man. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> in, in human resource management and organizational behavior, yeah. I've been on the faculty at Notre Dame, at Texas A&M, at Cornell for 16 years, wow. and then seven years here. Um, and you know, really got into human resources because uh, as, as a Christian, I always kind of felt like, People have inherent value and and are kind of worthy of dignity and respect, and that organizations that probably treat people that way would be more successful than organizations that don't. So that's what got me into it. And then I was on sabbatic in 2009 and went through the Colson Center um, Centurions program. It's now called the Colson Center Fellows, which is a year-long distance learning worldview um, training session. And so during that time, I really got into thinking through worldview and the implications for cultural issues, yeah. you know, like abortion, like yeah. euthanasia, like marriage, all of those things. Yeah. And I would say, too, just so people get an insight into our relationship, Pat and I have taught a Sunday school class on worldview, and um, Pat has been uh, really, for, you've been formative and like me, making my views concrete because you forced me to ask the right questions. So I think um, if anything, you're you're a guy in my life that makes me ask the right questions about the right things. Um, so that's been really helpful. So I'm glad we get to talk about uh, some of those things today. Just to rehash, uh, the last abortion podcast was released about two weeks ago. We probably shouldn't call it the abortion podcast. That seems like a bad way. <laughs> the more and more podcast <laughs> on, on abortion. abortion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we talked really a lot about the laws that have gone into effect or the recent um, bills being passed and some of the debate around those laws as well as some language surrounding abortion. So we're, we're kind of expanding on that to talk about the issue as a whole today. And so I'm going to kind of give you free reign um, and to uh, give us some general thoughts about um, the country's direction regarding abortion because it seems to me – um, and we've talked about this at, at length before, but it seems that the country is starting to divide over the abortion issue more more and more to use um, to use that and plug it. But um, it seems like uh, Alabama's abortion laws and New York's abortion laws are diametrically opposed at this point. So what are your general thoughts? Or, or Georgia's and Illinois, right. for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, before we talk about that, um, the one thing is I, I did want to mention that you know I, I heard the podcast that you did on abortion, and I, I thought it was right on in terms of, you know, we don't talk about this topic from the standpoint of trying to condemn people because we're mm. all sinners. We're all broken. I, yep. there, there are people very close to me that have had abortions and um, it is a, a horrible experience that people go through Absolutely. and they have to deal with it. Um, but there's no sin that's unforgivable. Mm. And, you know, that, that, that sin is no different than any other sin. Um, and, you know, when we talk about sin, people don't like that term, but it's really just missing the mark. It's not really 
working according to God's design. And so um, in in no means is it to try and condemn people um, by any stretch of the imagination, but just to talk about it um, and and try to dig into the issues. And so, you know, when you talk about the the direction the country's going right now, um, I'd I'd say you're you're right and only semi-right in that I I think there is a polarization that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But but in large part, if you look at the polls, um, the, the country is becoming more pro-life than it was. Mm. Um, the millennials, I think, are one of the you know, most kind of pro-life generations in quite a while. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, science is on our side. You know, so the, the sonograms, um, you know, people seeing sonograms of babies at different stages um, has, has kind of been like when Wilberforce you know, took the, the ship of... Uh, you know, kind of elite people by the slave ship so that they had to be faced with the reality of slavery. Yeah. Um, and I think the sonogram has been one way to make people face up to what, um, what a child looks like at different stages in the womb and therefore what abortion is doing. Um, also, you've got viability that moves earlier and earlier. Um, and you know, again, if you go back to Roe v. Wade, you know, that really was kind of built around viability. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's been another reason um, and the fact that, you know, for, for years, um, the pro-choice side talked about this just being a blob of tissue. Yeah. Um, and again, that's been shown to be demonstrably false. And so um, on, on the whole, I think the country is moving more towards a pro-life yeah. view, but it is being um, polarized in that, you know, on the left, um, you're seeing the, the, the you know, abortion up to birth and even after birth. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the uh, uh, Born Alive Survivors of Abortion Act, you know, that's been vetoed and that people are, you know, uh, Governor Northam in Virginia said, you know, I'll tell you what will happen to that. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, to, to where it's, it, it's moved to, you know, condoning what's essentially infanticide. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, again, on the right, you know, these laws like the Alabama one where it's kind of like always wrong, no exceptions. And yeah. so... In a sense, there's a polarization politically, but I think generally, um, in terms of people's views yeah. on the issue, it's moved more in the pro-life direction. Yeah, I guess, uh, and this wasn't on our, our prepared sheet, but now I'm now I'm already already wanted to tangent out. Hearing that, even me as a person who's like staunchly pro-life, it shocks me because, like, I guess media gives the impression that it's like it's a backwards way of thinking. Like I've always thought of myself as maybe I just like I'm backwards on this comparatively um, because it seems like everywhere you go or at least the culture is supposed to be very pro-choice and I would say anti-life. Right. But they like it seems like, you know, you turn on CNN and the Alabama law is seen as this backwards. Like how could they ever Atlanta is going to get boycotted as a as a Hollywood destination for people to film movies so why does that surprise me that that the country is moving pro-life I guess well I, I mean because um, the if you if you say that the culture is just defined by celebrities and the media then yeah. you're right mm. um, <laughs> yeah. celebrities and the media have come out very uh, vocally against these kinds of mm. um, life protecting laws um, and so that is what you see if you watch CNN or you watch watch MSNBC. Um, if you see the celebrities talking about it, um, you know generally the Alyssa yeah. Milano's. Um, they're all uh, you know what what we see yeah. generally is a number of pro-choice people being highly visible and not yeah. as much 
um, in terms of the pro-life people being visible and particularly not being able to represent why they're pro-life. And I think the media has turned this into, um, you know, one of those things that has become kind of undebatable, right? I mean, if you're smart, you obviously believe this. And anybody that doesn't believe this is not smart. Um, And so I think that's why Mm. you get this perception that, um, you know, the the country has moved towards pro-choice. But if you look at the polls, the polls would suggest otherwise. Um, Yeah. So. Interesting. So I think I said this in our last podcast multiple times, and we had a listener uh, basically sent in this question, but the reality is I think the abortion debate all depends on when a life begins, at least to, to sensible people as I understand them. Like no, everybody pretty much is in agreement that if it is a living, breathing human being, um, it's wrong to kill it. And at what point that happens so that I don't know really anyone outside of the extreme cases on the far, far left that talk about afterbirth and late term. But I think even most sensible people who are pro-abortion or pro-choice um, would say at six to eight months, there's really not a question as to whether or not this is alive. So what evidence do we have? Because we, we always talk about life beginning at conception, and we've heard, you already said it, but the, the clump of cells argument, uh, it's just a clump of cells. At what point does uh, a fetus stop being a clump of cells, and how do we know that? Well, so um, it, it is a really tough question, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we don't know, and... Um, and but what we can do is kind of say, well, what are the big questions, right? One is, you know, is it a human being? And it, like you said last week, done, right? There's yeah. never been a you know human pregnancy in a woman that resulted in in a dog being born or right. a pig being born. So right. it, it is a human. Um, it, it, is it alive? Again, like you talked about last week, um, if it is growing, I think that's one of the things that we yeah. look at to know if something's alive. Totally. If it's growing and if it's functioning biologically, right? It, it's alive. Now, some people will try and draw the line at different places, right? Mm-hmm. So is it when there are brain waves? You know, before brain waves, it's not really a person, but after brain waves, it is. Yeah. Or before a heartbeat or after a heartbeat again, which is why the heartbeat bill, I think, has, has been so controversial. Yeah. Um, is it at viability again, where Roe v. Wade came down? Is you know, does it become a person when it's viable outside the womb? Yeah. Um, or is it when that child is actually born, when it exits the, the mother um, and is outside the, the womb and at that point? Yeah. Um, I don't know that those are great ways to look at it. Um, I, I really like the, the framework that Scott Klusendorf uses, which is you know, the sled analogy. And it's, mm-hmm. it says, if you think about um, how do you know whether or not a person uh, is a person, whether or not they have value, and um, you know, is it dependent on size? Right? Yeah. So some people will say, well, it's so small, it's just a clump of cells. Well, okay, being 5'8", does that make me less of a person <laughs> than someone that's 6'2"? Um, some days know, it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I can, you know, weight-wise, yeah. okay, I'm getting up there anyway. But, yeah. uh, but, but does, should size determine whether or not you're a person? I think we would right. all agree that it doesn't. Um, the L is the level of development. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Stephanie Gray uh, talks about that, the idea of, you know, we have an embryo and we have a fetus and we have a baby and we have a child and an adolescent and a teen and an adult. These are simply describing different stages in mm. development, but yeah. they're not dis- defining personhood at yeah. any point. We're, we're assuming that they're all a person yeah. um, and that, 
your your value and your personhood shouldn't be dependent upon the level of development. Yeah. The E is around environment, um, and that is you know where you're located. So should the personhood be dependent on whether or not you're inside or outside of the womb? Yeah. Um, and I think again, um, you know, this is where these these kind of late term abortion things um, really are controversial, and and you know the the public support for late term abortion is really really low. Yeah. I think it's like less than ten percent mm-hmm. um, because people realize that you know if that that child is just about to be born the fact that it's still in the womb does not make it less of a person it's not that it becomes a person once it leaves the womb Um, and then last one is the d which is the degree of dependency Um, and and a lot of people will say well because that you know baby or embryo or fetus or whatever you want to call it is wholly dependent on its mother it's not really a person well Yeah, when that baby is born, the baby's still dependent. I yeah. mean, it, it's not getting up and working and yeah. feeding itself, right? Um, and, and, you know, even as we think about people that have uh, disabilities, they're not completely independent. Right. Um, and, and again, we would view them as persons. So I think when you look at that kind of the, the size, the level of development, yeah. the environment, the degree of dependency, things that have kind of been argued for why um, yeah. a child in the womb is not a person... If you think about those in a, in, a, in a larger sense, those shouldn't be the criteria we use to define personhood. So, mm. um, and I, I'll uh, kind of go to one extreme, um, quoting Mark Cuban, not on abortion, but <laughs> um, I was listening to, to Mark Cuban um, interviewed the other day, and he was talking about climate change. And, right. Um, his point was, you know, listen, if if there's a one percent chance that climate change is going to destroy the earth. Um, I owe it to my kids yeah. to do whatever I have to do to make sure that you know we don't go down that road. Well, the same right. thing. If we don't know when life begins, right? Um, but it could begin at conception. It could begin in the first few weeks. It could begin. Um, I, I think we were, we're better off erring on the side of assuming that life begins yeah. early and treating it as such, rather than. Um, kind of justifying that it's not really life because yeah. it really fits more with what's convenient for us. Right. And I'm always interested. I, I love the L because that seems to be um, the the level of development seems to be almost it's like a language problem for us. So whereas it, it's typical, like we always say baby, right? The pro-life side is known for saying baby and the pro-choice side is known for just calling it a fetus until. But in reality, fetus is just a technical term for a baby in the womb. It's all it is. Um, and so I love that. And also we've talked about this before, but Louis CK, uh, kind of speaks to that as well, where he, he has a, a joke that's probably too vulgar to, to say in full on here, but he, um, talks about it's either, either it's nothing, uh, either the baby is nothing and it doesn't matter, or it's a child and to have killed it is a grievous sin. And he, he, makes makes fun of that but that really is what we're looking at so yeah well and I would, you know again this this goes back to kind of the basic worldview questions you know that yeah. we, we talked about in class and that is you know four big questions of origin question of meaning question of morality question of destiny well this goes back to the question of origin right i mean yeah. are we actually um created in the image of god beings yeah. that are created in the image of god or are we simply the ultimate end to a you know, time plus matter plus chance evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. And you know, if in fact that's it, that we're nothing more than organic matter, kind yeah. of wet robots, 
then I, I, you could make a case that abortion is not a problem at all. That even if it is murdering that life, that life yeah. is no different than you know eating a taco. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's no more than that because there's no inherent dignity to the person. Yeah. Um, and again, I, you know, I come from the standpoint of believing that you know people are made in the image of God and they're kind of. Yeah. created with that imago dei and and in that case it goes you know, it goes back to Louis yeah. CK's point right if yeah. it's either it's an image of god and we're really not supposed to do that yeah. or it's just matter yeah. Um, yeah. in which case it it doesn't matter yeah. so this is i think again where worldview comes in you know you can't be angry with people that yeah have the alternative worldview and support abortion on that basis it's completely understandable yeah and i think too the a big problem is is that at least for us in defining personhood is that you're, you're right in the sense that we don't like if we knew what it means, what it meant for someone to be a person, we would event, we would basically be saying, we know what it is to be made fully in the image of God, which has been a mystery to humanity forever. Yeah. Um, and I think too, defining it in arbitrary terms, uh, becomes, becomes problematic because we can say based on the size, right? We can go through the sled. We can even say, if it's growing, it's it's a person. Or if it has human DNA and it's growing and it has a heartbeat, and we can add all these arbitrary terms. But the reality is, is that it's it's something that's other than the mother. It is growing. Uh, sentience doesn't seem to matter because we would never um, we'd never you know kill uh, people with Alzheimer's based on that. At least we we shouldn't. <laughs> but there might be an argument for that. So it seems to me that. Uh, it's it's kind of like the old adage is I don't I don't know exactly what it is but I know it when I see it, and the sonogram does a lot to to start solving um, that particular problem I think. Yeah, well, and and you actually did kind of expand it, and that is that I mean, this is the bigger issue of life, right? Yeah. So we we're focused on life at the beginning, but you know if you talk about Alzheimer's or people in comas yeah. or people that are terminally ill. It's the same basic issues at at, yeah. at the end of life as well as yeah. you know what what is life what is the dignity of a human being what does it mean yeah um, I, I want to touch on the I guess it'd be the D of the the sled acronym um, which is, is d- development degree, degree of dependency degree of dependency that's what it is so um, we have heard the argument and I think it's it's an interesting argument I'll say so what do you, what how do you respond to the argument that um, abortion uh, forcing a woman to carry a child to term is essentially like forcing uh, someone to give up a kidney. So you're you're forcing her to provide uh, bodily resources for a, um, a a leech. Basically, this is it's child as parasite or child as a kidney transplant patient is is the essential argument, which I think could be morally consistent based on their worldview, but I don't know that it, it, it holds any weight. So. Well, so actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Mary and I were watching House. We've been watching the House. Mary's your wife, by the way. You haven't mentioned um, that. But, yeah, <laughs> but we've been watching the, the uh, House for the second time through. Yeah. Um, so when show. it first came out, yeah. and he actually diagnosed this woman who didn't know what was going on, and he said, you know, you have a parasite. And she was all upset, and he's like, it's growing inside you, and basically telling her she was pregnant. Yeah. Um, and, and so it is kind of interesting to, to use that terminology when I hear you say that. Um, Again, I think Stephanie Gray raises this at one point where somebody um, brings up something similar to that. And what she says is that, you know, think about um, forcing that kidney um, to a person to give up that kidney. Well, the kidney is part of the person Mm -hmm. um, and it has no other purpose other than as a kidney. Mm. When you start talking about a life in the womb, 
Um, it is separate, yeah. right? It's not necessarily it's within that person, but as you mentioned, it yeah. has separate DNA. It is a separate person, yeah. um, and it has a larger purpose in its growth, right. and that is to, to ultimately become, you know, a child and an mm. adolescent and teenager or whatever. So, so you know, to, to simply compare this as a, a, an organ versus um, this is no different than an organ. That's not quite right. right. Um, the second issue is the idea of kind of choice, yeah. right? And I always like to say I'm I'm completely pro-choice, um, and mm-hmm. that is that people choose to engage in behavior, and sometimes they have to live with the consequences of that behavior. Yes. Um, and and so uh, if if someone chooses to engage in the act that ultimately results in pregnancy, yeah. Um, it's different from they had no choice in this idea of they've got a kidney that they need to give up. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, you engaged in a behavior that resulted in a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, that's you know, so, so if you're going to try and end this, um, this pregnancy just because it's convenient for you because you made a bad decision in the past, yeah. I'm not sure that's a great justification. Now, again, when I talk about choice, I think this is one of the places where um, and, and you mentioned it last week of the you know rape and incest um, exemptions and yeah. also life of the mother. Um, I, I can philosophically argue that um, I understand why rape and incest would be a legitimate exception, and that is those are cases where a woman had no choice. Yeah, um, she was forced into the act that resulted in pregnancy. Yeah, and now, even and even being forced into deal with the consequences of an action of somebody else. I mean, it's yeah. like the, it's the ultimate injustice to not only have to deal with the act, but also deal with the consequences. I, I understand that completely as I'm sure you do. Yeah. So. yeah. And I mean, again, I, I, I go back to the, you know, we, we don't want to make necess- it's, it's not about making abortion unlawful. It's about making it unthinkable. Yeah. So I, uh, I would be more than happy to grant um, from a legal standpoint, the yeah. exceptions of rape and incest because it legitimately is yeah. a, a, a situation where a woman didn't have a choice um, but, you know, let's also say if that in turn says that we're going to get rid of the abortion as birth control, mm. um, because, again, that to me is a very different issue. That is the Which is also the majority all. of the cases. It's yeah, the vast that majority it's, of the it's cases. vast majority. Um, it, th- that's the reason why an abortion is happening. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, you know, again, whether you look at I was looking through the Florida statistics where they require people to say why they were getting an abortion and. Again, mm-hmm. rape and incest is like less around one percent, or slightly less than one percent. Mm-hmm. And you know, after that, it's uh, you know, ninety six, ninety seven percent are well, it wasn't right for me economically. It wasn't right for me um, you know, emotionally at this point in time, or right. just it was elective. Um, yeah. And and again, I I don't think, you know, I, I have a hard time justifying elective abortion. Yeah. Um, and making that. Yeah, keeping keeping that as legal as possible. But um, yeah. you know, if it's a rape and incest, make it an exception legally. Again, morally, I would encourage women to not blame the baby. You know, Graham Allen says uh, he's really against e- even those exceptions, and he says, you know, you show me the sonogram of a baby conceived in rape and a baby conceived in love, and tell me which one was rape and which one was love. Mm. And I mean, his point is, it's a baby. Yeah. Um, and they have to be protected. But mm. a, again, I'd, I'd be willing to grant the exceptions if yeah. it's only the exceptions. Right. Uh, I think in, in moving through, um, I guess, my understanding of the level of dependency and then moving into just 
there's so much political conversation surrounding this, and you touched on it at the beginning, but I l- really love you to to break down for us. It seems that we all the arguments, none of them function on a on a cohesive level. So there's the political argument, then we make the science argument, and then we make the philosophical argument. But the scientists and the phil- philosophers don't agree, and the politicians don't agree with anyone ever, and and so we just we have a hard, at least I have a hard time giving my political opinion and also giving my moral opinion, my religious opinion, and then understanding the science is just tough for me anyway. So um, how much of this issue is political and how much should we treat as political um, when we make these arguments? Well, I mean, so you, you can't deny that there's this is a huge political issue. Right? Yeah, I mean, no it doubt. is, um, you know, as we, as we start um, with the you know, 2020 election cycle, <laughs> I guess, with the, yeah. Uh, President Trump announcing last night and then 23 or 24 yeah. candidates on the Democrat side already. Um, clearly, abortion <laughs> yeah, the is going to be a big parade. issue. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be a big issue. And, um, you know, I, I think that the, the far left, particularly in the Democrat Party, um, they view this as like the most important issue to women. And so they are going to drive it as much as they can mm-hmm. Um, to be, this is all about protecting women, to give them equality, to give them uh, reproductive rights, um, to give them freedom, um, all of those things. And so they're really going to push to the extreme in their effort to reach out to women. Uh, on the right, I mean, again, I think you've got the evangelical base. Um, and so you know, President Trump and others on the right yeah. are going to re- be really pushing for more and more restrictions on abortion yeah. because they view that as a way um, to, to increase the turnout and so on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you can't ignore the political implications of this and how fa- how important that's going to be. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, when you talk about politics, it really just kind of muddies the issue, right? Because you get terms like... Yeah. Um, you know, reproductive rights. Yeah. You know, uh, terms like murder. You know, yeah. again on on the other side, murder, yeah. um, and and it's these are kind of broad terms that are meant to accuse the other side in some way, but not have a civil discussion. Right. Uh, and so I, I think you know really we would be better off as a nation having a philosophical discussion mm-hmm. and a um, science based discussion. Yeah. You know, so, for instance, uh, you know, Lila Rose, I think she, she's been banned from Twitter. Um, I think it was Twitter or, or Instagram or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, un- unless she agrees not to put sonogram pictures on anymore. Yeah. You know, so, so again, to me, that is, no, we, we should see that. Everyone should see that. If, yeah. if we're going to have a discussion about this, yeah. then reality should be part of that discussion. We shouldn't be ignoring it or glossing over that. Um, and having the philosophical discussions about you know, what does it mean to be human? Um, when does life begin? What are the moral obligations to human beings? Yeah. I, I think those are the discussions we should have instead of these kind of soundbite um, terms that, that you know, are, are meant to inflame um, yeah. and uh, inflame the other side and engage your side. Um, and so I, I'd much rather see those kinds of discussions going on as we as we yeah. go through this political season than just the accusations. Yeah. How how valuable do you think political discussion um, can be, not just on this issue, but in general? A lot of times I feel like I'm and I had this conversation recently with a member of our staff even, but it's the reality of I disagree with this morally, but 
is, can we always legislate morality? And my argument, of course, is any morality that affects somebody else and not just me, we have to legislate. We legislate that all the time. You can't steal. You can't murder. You can't do all these things. And abortion falls under that for me. But I don't – and this is the libertarian whatever in me. But like we, I don't I don't know that we should legislate seatbelts and I don't know that we should even legislate drug use and I'm still working through my opinions on that. But this seems to be a different issue. So how valuable is the political aspect of this discussion, especially in today's climate? Well, I mean you know, every law is ultimately a reflection of the perceived morality. Yeah. I mean no, nobody um, – I, I love – I just kind of can't stand when people say you know, you're trying to legislate morality. All law is morality. Yeah, you know, right. Seatbelts. It's well yeah. – we have a moral obligation to protect people, right? Yeah. I mean we're right. not just saying, well, we think it's a good idea. Um, yeah. and, and so all law is based in at least some version of morality. Um, I, I think the bigger problem is that uh, you know, what's the incentive of a politician? Is the incentive of a politician to engage in um, enlightening discussion, or is the incentive of a politician to get votes? Yeah, um, to get and it's the latter. Yeah, um, it, it's clearly the latter. And so yeah. I don't necessarily think that politicians are the right people to have these debates. Mm. Um, and and I mean, could they? Yeah, I'd love to see it. I, I would love to see a presidential debate where it's not so much about you know, a particular position, but, you yeah. know, what's the philosophical underpinnings that led you to that? Yeah. Um, and why philosophically do you disagree with the other side? I'd love to see that, but I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for it. Um, but I think this is where um, Chuck Colson used to talk about, you know, the, the, the kind of discussion over the backyard fence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is where, you know, we, I think as Christians should be engaging the people around us in these kinds of philosophical discussions. It's not necessarily going to happen in the political realm, it's really going to be happening one on one, in a spirit of you know winsomeness um, and and you know just kind of a, a nice collegial yeah. discussion um, without trying to accuse people and and uh, you know try and prove them wrong or anything yeah. like that, but but rather to um, you know just be able to to talk about things and. and listen as well as to, to speak. So yeah. that's, I think, the better place to take this. Do you think, and as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking through this, do you think that it's possible to have this discussion without um, our religious ideas? And so we would believe that we're made in the image of God, but I feel like without that idea, um, we're left with the, the basic philosophy, the basic morality, the basic scientific discussion. Is it possible to gain ground as pro-lifers without... Um, Without the religious backing, uh, so I think it is, and I mean the best. I would agree, but yeah. it, it's a it's well a difficult discussion. Yeah, the, the best example, and I mean it's one of the resources that I would point people to is um, Stephanie Gray's talk at Google. Yeah. Um, on abortion, and um, I, I thought it was one. It was a yeah, fantastic talk, and she never mentions God or religion through yeah. through the entire talk. It is all, you know, essentially kind of a natural law argument. It's like yeah. you know this in your heart. Um, and, and so I think, and, and again, I think people do know it in their hearts. So, yeah. you know, the positions are based more in what's convenient for me than what I truly think is right a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think it's entirely possible to have these discussions at a philosophical level, at a scientific level, without having to bring God or religion into it. Right. Um, you know, and, and again, what, what motivates us? Well, because we do believe that people are created in the image of God. Mm. Um, but I don't think that that discussion has to be the Bible says. Yeah. And, and again, that's what we try and do in our worldview classes. Yeah. Now, how do we equip people to have these discussions when y- you can't say, well, the Bible says, yeah. because people don't believe in the Bible. 
Right. Um, so we can have discussions at a philosophical level um, yeah. and, and you know, engage people in those discussions without uh, relying on the Bible. Yeah, and I think uh, this is where you're going with the last question is, what, as you see it, what are the differences between the right and the left? And those are giant terms. But I think in knowing you and talking to you, they're, they're predominantly based on worldview. And so what, as you see it, what are the biggest differences um, and what is the separation between the right and the left? Well, um, yeah, so, so historically, yeah. <laughs> um, historically, I, I would have said, and on probably 80% of the issues, just spitballing there, and probably 80% of the issues, I think one of the major differences between the right and the left is um, that the right comes from the standpoint of um, suspicion of government yeah. because of a suspicion of human nature, right? Yeah. That, you know, and, and again, not to say that all people on the right are Christian, but the the Christian view that we're broken, we're sinful, yeah. um, and so anyone in power yeah. is likely to use that power to their own ends, um, and so we want to be suspicious of giving too much power to government. Yeah, I think the left generally views government as um, you know more of a uh, institutional way to solve the problems that exist in, in the world today. Right. Um, and so it, it, there's more of a utopian mindset that, you know, the reason that, that we've got problems today is that the government hasn't come up with the right set of laws right. to keep people from doing the things that they shouldn't do. Mm. Um, and so generally, I think that tends to be the distinction is that faith in government versus suspicion of government. Now, right. when it comes to an, a, an issue like abortion... Um, you know, it, it, you see it switch back and forth, right? right. And so um, you know, go back to Roe v. Wade. What was that? Well, that was, you know, giving all power to the government to say, henceforth, this is a right that can't be infringed. Yeah. Um, but now, as you're beginning to see this, you know, the, the suspicion that Roe v. Wade might be overturned at some point, states like New York and, and Illinois creating their own statute. So now it's kind of like, well, government is not going to be the solution to that problem. Yeah. So we need to come up at state levels um, to be able to do these things, to be able to empower women. So yeah. um, I, I think that generally that's, if you say what's the difference between left and right, generally that's the difference between left and right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all of us are hypocritical in one way or another. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll, we'll say that this is what we believe politically and then when it doesn't work for us we'll change our mind and yeah. say well but in this case it doesn't right. necessarily translate and so yeah. um, again you know if we're suspicious of government uh, solutions uh, uh, and yet now we're trying to yeah. have a government solution to the abortion question yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it, it is kind of hypocritical on the right side as well Yeah, and I think something that you touched on earlier too is we, we also just differ like and this is not this transcends beyond political, um, but the if you think that you're made in the image of God and that because of that every life has meaning, it's the question of origin, right? That is that to me is an essential difference between, and it's not even left and right; it, it transcends that. But it's if if I believe that every life has value, and most people on the left would affirm that life has value, but the the way that they get to that point and the outworkings of saying that look radically different. And so clearly there's a, there's a difference in agreement yeah. on the, on the origin question. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, tied into the value of life is that, well, what 
from what does that value come? And yeah. again, um, uh, from a Christian worldview standpoint, we would say it comes because we're created in the image of God, and right. and all of us have equal value. Right. Um, but from more of a secular humanist side, if you don't believe in God, then value is determined by well, what can you do? Right. You know, what value do you bring to society? Or, and it could be. You know, you've got great looks. It could be that you're a genius, that you built a big business, um, and therefore those that don't have that, maybe, maybe because they're disabilities or they, they're short like me or they're yeah. not as smart, um, that they have less value. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I think you're right that, they're, that that basic worldview question about the question of origins um, will distinguish, and I'll say left from right or... or um, say more secular views versus Christian views yeah. um, because there are, you know, again, Democrats that, that are evangelical Christians yeah. and, um, you know, would not adhere to some of these things. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of painting with broad stereotypical brushes there. Yeah. Is there, do you think there's ever a case where we could, a Christian in, in good conscience and with clear conscience could vote for a, a pro-choice candidate? Yeah, uh, so I, I would say absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, there are two things that happen in any election. One is we have to look at the portfolio of positions, Yeah. right? It's not, we shouldn't be single issue voters, right? Yeah. Because particularly given, uh, just take a number of issues, um, if, if you go back to uh, the Manhattan Declaration uh, that Chuck Colson and Robbie George and Tim yeah. George uh, came up with, and that was, you know, it was about life, it was about marriage, and it was about freedom of religion, right? Yeah. And they they saw, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago um, that these were going to be the issues that were coming forward. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about life, but, you know, you could see having a, a an individual who is, you know, pro-choice, but also very focused on freedom mm. of religion and very focused on, on marriage, right. um, according to, you know, God's design, uh, and the second aspect to supporing this is you have to, you generally have a dichotomous choice. It's right. it's not you know we get to pick one the best person. It's we have two people running, yeah. and we have to choose between the two. And so if you have two pro-choice candidates to choose from, um, you might go with the one who's better on the other issues in yeah. that portfolio. Uh, relative to the one that's going to be, you know, as you would perceive it to be wrong on all of the issues with yeah. that, uh, within that portfolio. I think the real difficult time comes when you've got a pro-life versus a pro-choice candidate. Um, and on on a number of issues, the pro-choice candidate looks pretty good and, and maybe even better than the pro-life candidate. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where, as Christians, we have to have discernment to, you know, Pray for guidance in what we should be doing there, but uh, yeah. you know, certainly, I don't think there's any way on earth that we would ever say that just because somebody's pro-choice, we couldn't yeah. possibly vote for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last question I want to ask you is, is again, in I I, I read a, a series of books. This is um, it's a fiction series, but basically, it's set in this world where um, the Third World War was fought over the pro-life issue. Um, and and there we're we're dealing with the the repercussions of that. And so, uh, part of me is like this is coming, and then part of me is like that could never happen. And so, I guess my question is: is there is there any chance of reconciliation? Is there any chance of real um, growth to understand one another uh, between the two sides of the issue? Uh, so yeah, I, again, I think there is. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think part of that, again, is um, science is on our side. Sonograms are educating people, um, <clears throat> having philosophical discussions about this yeah. um, is, is going to get us, hopefully, to a point where we can at least come to some legitimate compromises, right? Yeah. So, again, whether that is, um, you know, we're, we're going to try and do everything we can to minimize or eliminate elective abortions, but we will have exceptions in certain cases, yeah. Um, yeah, so so maybe we can get to a point like that where there's a legitimate compromise that both sides can yeah. feel like they've gotten what's most important to them, yeah. um, and and I think that 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 can come, but it's not likely to happen from politicians again because you know their incentives are to inflame um, and to to uh, inflame their base to want to come vote for them, um, and that's not going to come by talking about compromise. I think that's one of the things we see in today's political environment is that, you know, nobody wants to compromise because we've got such extremes that they're afraid that if they compromise, yeah. then their base is not going to support them anymore. Yeah. So. And I think even for someone like me, like I, I talked about in the last one, the, the rape and incest question is really bothersome to me, whether or not we can even make that compromise. I think there's something to be said. If I can't give up the 1% to get the 99, then I probably need to go back to school and try to figure <laughs> figure some stuff out. So um, while I think there's a moral problem with that, it, it may it is definitely worth uh, looking at, especially legislatively. Yeah, but um, I, again, I would go back to what you talked about in that podcast, and that is that um, it's we're not going to get to a compromise and we're not going to get to anything close to a middle ground if you know we're t talking about if the left is referring to pro-life people as being bigots out to you know subjugate women and the right is is calling uh, pro-choice people murderers and baby killers and all that yeah. that's not going to get us yeah um where we where we need to go as a nation so yeah. i mean we have to have a civil conversation yeah um you know based in fact based in uh a, a an assumption that the other side has good intentions, yeah. not that they're evil, but that they have good intentions and they have good points, listening before we speak um, and, yeah. and being open to those ideas. All right. What recommendations would you give our listeners to both understand this issue, but also any – you already talked about House, which is a great show. So uh, <laughs> any, any recommendations you have at all? Um, you can start with the ones uh, on this issue. Well, so uh, you know, again, I'd, I'd point everyone to Stephanie Ray's talk at Google, which it's fantastic. Is, yeah, for which listeners. is it is it is um, really good. Yeah, you know, probably the best um, you know pro life advocacy yeah. I've ever seen. And just contextually, um, she did it at Google, which is like the opposite end of this issue as far as yeah. Well, uh, and, and she's concerned. Uh, they had uh, Google had the president of I think it was NARAL. Um, mm -hmm. there a few months before. And if you look at YouTube, um, Stephanie Gray's talk has like 2 million views yeah. and the NARAL person has like 150,000. Yeah. So clearly um, people were, were much more engaged with Stephanie Gray's discussion of the, the abortion issue than the NARAL position. Um, second is uh, Scott Klusendorf, who's the president of the Life Training Institute. He's got a couple of books out. Um, he writes a lot of articles. Again, he's the one that came out with the SLED analogy or the SLED acronym. Um, I think he's been one of you know really the, the great uh, defenders of life in terms of giving a legitimate philosophical argument. And also, um, I heard him do a, a Breakpoint podcast where um, he actually kind of went through here all of the 
arguments that people on the pro-choice side would make, mm. um, and here's how you respond to those arguments. And I, I yeah. thought it was, again, one of the really good um, kind of educational things. Um, and then last is uh, the breakpoint.org or the Colson um, Center for Christian Worldview. Yeah. Um, Colson Center, I think, is you know, probably one of the leading places around Christian worldview. Much more broad than Scott Klusendorf or Stephanie Gray. I mean, they get into mm-hmm. all kinds of religious freedom issues, marriage issues, and so on. Um, but all based in a Christian worldview. And uh, the Breakpoint uh, podcast, uh, which is about a four-minute podcast every day, and then usually... Um, a couple of 20 to 25 minute more extended podcasts every week um, is a great place to kind of be educated as to you know, what are the cultural issues that, that are impacting us and, and what what does a biblical worldview world say about those issues? Yeah, well, um, Dr. Pat, thank you for coming in. I know you hate that. Um, thank you for coming in and, and really illuminating some of the issues. It's always good to have someone who is smarter and wiser and more versed in this issue come in. Um, where can people find you on social media? I, we have to do it, even though the last podcast was about <laughs> social media. We have to do it. Where can people find you and get in touch with some of the stuff you're you're up to? Yeah, well, the best place to get me is um, on Facebook, and it's Facebook. Uh, just Patrick Wright on, on Facebook. Easy. Um, I have a I have an Instagram account, but I don't even know what the the. the <laughs> You don't know what handle the handle is for that. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's um, solid. And, and my Twitter, um, I actually just do Twitter professionally. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of useless. Yeah, it's kind of useless. It's not where I get in. Unless, you, unless you're a PhD in human resources and yeah. have to, happen yeah. to be listening. In. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my professional social media. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, awesome. Facebook is the easiest way. So. Perfect. <laughs> well, uh, again, this is Hampton with the More and More Podcast uh, with Dr. Pat Wright. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you can follow the at more and more podcasts on Instagram. If you want to engage with us, you can follow me at Hampton Harmon on Instagram. I only use Instagram and it is not professional at all. So you can feel free uh, to engage with that. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week um, to talk uh, about more stuff. I don't even know what we're talking about next week. I got to look at the schedule, but um, we're excited. Dr. Pat, any closing thoughts or are you good to go? Oh, just thanks for doing this. I think this is a, a, a great, um, great platform for getting the word out and being able to discuss these cultural issues. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.